Welcome to Photoactive, a podcast about photography and technology. I'm Kirk McElhern. And I'm Jeff Carlson. As we've mentioned on the podcast before, um, we have a Facebook group where people can join and discuss photography, discuss the podcast, and ask questions. And it turns out we had a very good question from Chris Nielsen on January 18th. He says, one thing that bugs me is I might have all the technical knowledge in the world, but how do I choose a subject to shoot? Most guides and books I've seen say things like, here's how to compose for your subject, but what if I don't know what to shoot? Well, Jeff and I decided we're going to discuss how you can find something to shoot. That is a great topic. It is, because a lot of people get into photography for different reasons. Maybe they've started shooting their families or their cats or flowers, and they want to expand and they want to shoot more. And, and Chris's point is very correct. It's, books on composition will generally talk about you know, here's how to compose in a landscape, uh, here's how to compose portraits, etc. But what if you're not doing landscapes and portraits and just wandering around? How do you find what to shoot? Um, we've both been confronted with this, and there are a number of reasons why. Perhaps there's bad weather, perhaps you just don't have the motivation anymore to go out of the way and look for fancy things. And for me, that's the time to come a little bit inward and try to find interesting things close to me. This is also a really good opportunity to point out one of the things about being a photographer, and you'll notice this the more you do it, is you do develop an eye for photography. And you'll notice this even when you're not shooting, you'll, your eye will be drawn to things. And if you don't have a lot of experience or you're not in an area where, you know, obviously let's say you are at a monument or a landscape where there's a very obvious subject that needs to be photographed. When you're not in a situation like that, then your eye will wander. Your eye will, will try to pick out something that's interesting. And the more you do this, the more you shoot, the more your eye will be drawn to those kind of details. But if you've not been shooting a lot, or that's just not something that you've consciously tried to develop, it can be, you know, like when you go to a a museum, you walk into the museum and everything is just overwhelming. There's so much that, you know, my so oftentimes my initial instinct is to just either turn around and walk out <laughs> and then I and then I realize that no 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 no, I want to be here and I need to just winnow down and 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 pick a path. I grew up in New York City, and for a couple of years, I lived on the Upper West Side, and I worked, if anyone's familiar with New York, I worked in the General Motors building. That's where the Apple store is with the glass cube out front. So that was on the southeast Ooh, yes. corner of Central Park, and sometimes I would walk up Fifth Avenue and cross the park to go home, and on my way, I would stop at the Metropolitan Museum of Art. I think it was free one day a week, or you suggested contribution, but it wasn't expensive. Now, in a museum like that, okay, you're traveling, you're going to Paris, you're going to go to the Louvre, you're going to try and see everything. But when you have a local museum, you can just one day go in and find one room, spend 20 minutes looking at a dozen paintings or a bunch of sculptures, and then go out. You don't have to try to see everything. And it's the proverbial question of breadth versus depth. Do you want to look at everything but not see anything? Or do you want to just look at a few things and really see them and really internalize them? And I can still remember the look in the eyes of that Fermer painting of the girl with the pearl earring, that there was something luminescent about the eyes that as you moved around, they looked like they were following you. That's a really good point. I 
have kind of a similar story that ties into this, um, just because now we're talking about museums, and this is the the Photoactive Museum podcast. (laughs) Um, I I went to the Chicago Art Museum, which is uh, huge and amazing, and this was a time when I only had one day to be there, so of course, tried to see as much as I could. And they have so much there, and so many amazing masterworks that... I want to say four hours, five hours in, uh, I was exhausted. Like my brain could not process any more masterworks to the point where, you know, I was sort of heading toward the exit. I was like, oh, look, there's a Cezanne. Oh, is that a Picasso? <laughs> Whatever. Just, just because like I was, I was completely overloaded. And I think that helps me remember that when we're doing photography, uh, you know, it takes work, it takes focus, it takes concentration. And I think that's something that a lot of people don't think about or other people assume is not involved because, you know, you're just going out to a pretty place and you're putting a camera up to your face and you're snapping a few pictures. And, you know, yes, you can probably get some good results uh, when you do that. But the kind of photography that we've been talking about on this podcast, it's more deliberative. It requires more effort and you know quite honestly if i go out shooting for more than say you know a couple of hours i am exhausted afterwards it's a good exhaustion but my brain has just been processing and analyzing and looking at angles and looking at color and light and it's a lot of work so i do not begrudge anybody who says i went to a place and i didn't know what to shoot because there was too much or nothing specifically stood out I think what happens is over time, the eye develops and you get to a stage where you can see things that you might not have noticed otherwise. And for me, one of the main ways of doing this is to look at books of photos. So look at books of art as well. Um, If you look back at some of our snapshot picks, uh, I picked a number of books of photos, but also um, some Japanese woodcuts and some other types of paintings. Because the compositional rules, and I'm doing air quotes here because there are no rules, particularly not that one about three things, um, the rules are pretty similar across these different visual art disciplines. I, I think the first thing to start with is to remember that a photograph is defined by the four corners of the frame. And that may sound banal, but it's a pretty important thing to consider that when you're looking at the world outside, you can't see beyond those four corners. So you have to develop the habit of thinking, where could the corners be? And of course, you can zoom and you can crop and and all of that, but you have to consider the corners of a photograph. Just in passing, I read an article a few months ago, someone saying, lenses are round. How come camera sensors aren't round? How come film wasn't round or at least square? And it's true that we waste a lot of the resolution of lenses by sticking with a rectangular format, but that rectangular format has weight. It has history. It's It's a type of aspect ratio that's been around for a long time. We'll link to our episode on aspect ratios um, where we discuss this. But you just have to go out and think, where could the corners be when you see something? Sometimes you'll see something that could be centered. And then you'll think, okay, it's easy to find the corners because this is going to be centered. But at other times, you have to look at what you're excluding from the world around you. That's an area that I have a lot of trouble with because as I've mentioned before, when I get to a scene, I see everything and I tend to think in the larger view. And 
when you are forcing yourself to think of that frame, it's it's good, but you also have to really push everything off to the side. Um, and that can be good because you're you're focusing on a subject, as you said, but it can also be bad because you may ignore a detail that's just outside the frame that is either something really good or maybe it's compositionally something that will balance what you're uh, focusing on. Or it could be something like a trash can or something that you you did not see because it's something that you see every day and your mind Remember, your mind is always sort of editing and picking out what's interesting in a scene. And your mind probably skipped over those details because you're like, oh, it's just a garbage can. Oh, it's just uh, a couple of birds up in the frame. And that could translate to something that actually those birds are really what's the most interesting thing. And you have to shift your brain to see that and include it. Right. And when you spot something like that, what you have to do is think where in that rectangle is that subject going to be? So you found your subject, you found something interesting. Maybe there's light and shades and colors. Then you have to think, where do I position it in the frame to make it interesting? Now you can try You've got birds. They're not moving. You can put them in the top left, the bottom right, the center. You can put them all over. You can take multiple pictures. Um, and then your eye is going to work in the editing process. And when I say editing here, I'm talking about culling your photos as opposed to actually doing the post-processing. Um, mm -hmm. I'm not the kind of person who likes to shoot a lot of photos of any given thing. I like to take a little bit longer to find the corners of the frame and shoot my picture. Um, I don't, I'll often not take more than one or two photos of whatever I shoot. Whereas some people like you, Jeff, I think you tend to go for the, um, what would be the term? The, <laughs> I know it's coming. I'm not going to help you with it. Well, I... The, the, the spray and pray. No, approach? I wasn't going to say that because. Oh, okay. Good, good. No, good. I was going to say the more belts and suspenders, right? You're shooting the same thing, slightly different and you want to make oh, sure yes. you get what you want. That is much more complimentary. Yes, yeah. thank you. <laughs> well, and also let's let's remember uh, we're shooting digital, so that gives you a lot yeah. of latitude. So that if you aren't sure, uh, you know, one of the things that we uh, mentioned in our replies in the Facebook group is, you know, shoot a lot. If you don't know what your subject is, don't feel like you have to wait to press that shutter button until you've got it, because it's very likely that maybe, you know, an accidental shot will be the one that you like the most. If you're just not sure, like work the scene, take a look, like shoot a lot of different things, see what catches your eye. And you may get home with a whole lot of garbage. And, um, you know, some of the examples that we're going to show a little bit later, uh, I went out shooting and there's a lot of garbage in there, but that's okay because I can delete it and I can, you know, find the things that are more interesting and those will rise to the top. Yeah. So in order to prepare for this episode, we've each decided to go out and just shoot to try to find interesting things. Um, I did this approach in two parts. The first part was, um, I really haven't been shooting a lot lately, but one day about 10 days ago, it was very foggy, so I went out in the morning and I took a lot of pictures. I found three that I really liked, but most of them were crappy, and I spent a lot of time 
waiting for a goose to look interesting on the sides of on the banks of the Avon River, and it never looked interesting. I must have taken twenty photos, and I gave up because it was really <laughs> cold out. Um, but then what I did is I went back to some photos I shot last year uh, on August thirty first, two thousand nineteen. I was wandering around the house with my camera and my 50 millimeter lens, a 75 millimeter equivalent um, for those in full frame. And my goal was to just look around the house for details, to find interesting shapes and shadows and all that. So I've created an iCloud photo album with 15 photos that we'll just discuss briefly. Jeff has a Lightroom photo album with 40 or 50 photos. I think he's going to cull some of them that he's already shown me. Um, because they weren't related to the same photo shoot. And we're just going to talk through some of this. um, Because why? Basically, that's the question is, why did we choose these particular things? And what's interesting is all your photos are outdoors. All mine are indoors. um, All yours are color. All mine are black and white. So there's an interesting (laughs) difference between the way we, between what we're looking at here. Yeah, definitely. And also, you know, this was an exercise, like a very deliberate exercise, because I knew that we were going to do this episode. And so I realized yesterday that I hadn't done it yet. <laughs> and so I needed to just go and find a location and just, as I said, work the scene. And so um, as we get through these, you'll see a lot of these are just me wandering around. I think I probably shot more than I normally would have just because I also wanted to to establish like the sense of place and here's the area that 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 I was looking at. Um but that sense of you know whether you are going out to 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 deliberately like I said work a scene or in Kirk's case we've mentioned this before but that's an excellent exercise especially because Kirk is going through his house the place that he is in all the time and You'd be surprised how many things that you don't notice about your house, again, because your mind is tuned it out. You know this is how you get to the kitchen. But did you know that at 3 o'clock the sun hits a table in such a way that you may have never realized before? Okay, so let's take a break. When we come back, we'll go through Jeff's photos and then we'll go through my photos. Okay, so Jeff has a Lightroom album. There's a link in the show notes. Um, I think what's interesting here is... So when we look at yours and when we look at mine, yours is a sort of um, raw material photo album. So you haven't really culled them or done post-processing or very much editing at all. Whereas when we go to mine in a few minutes, you'll see that I have. I took about 50 photos and and winnowed them down to 15 and, and did a bit of work on them. So what's interesting about this is you've got this windmill and the windmill is interesting and you're trying to find the right way to picture the windmill. Did you find a satisfactory way in one of these photos? In one of the photos, yes. Um, <laughs> so it's uh, the the location that I picked here. This is a, a park in Redmond, Washington called Marymore Park. And uh, there's this mansion. It's on the uh, designation of historical uh, places. And um, the owner built this windmill, which apparently never functioned. 
uh, it was never used. It's just there. It's it's kind of bizarre, but you know, it's it's something different, and so. There are are a few challenges with this. Uh, One is that, you know, you're you're looking up at something, and so you have to deal with issues of perspective. You look like you're using a very wide angle in a lot of the photos. Were you using a zoom lens or a prime? It was a prime. It was just my little 27-millimeter pancake lens on my camera, which was the only thing that I had. Uh, So, you know, going back to shooting with limitations, that's... That's how I approach this. Interestingly, it looks like a wider angle lens than that in some of the photos, the way the windmill's distorted. That's from the iPhone. So I also had ah, a few okay. iPhone shots in there. Okay. Yeah. Because um, partially I wanted to see what the what the super wide iPhone 11 Pro lens would do. Uh, and also just to get a sense of, of how different the, the two cameras would, would re- render the scene. Got it. And so... You know, like like one question is, as you approach this windmill, like, do I want to get the entire windmill in? And if I do, what do I do about that? And there's a shot where, yes, the, the entire windmill is there. It's the back of the windmill, so it's not that interesting. I was hoping maybe there was something with the clouds, and eh, it, it's not so interesting. Once I got closer to the windmill, that's when things started to get more interesting in my mind and partially this is because of having the windmill blades and they make really nice angles. Uh, the sky was doing some interesting stuff and the moon was basically bright and popping out. So I think probably without having reviewed this a lot, I think my favorite shot right off the bat is one where the moon is uh, sort of centered between two of the windmill blades and you definitely have some perspective because I'm at the base looking up and some cloud, uh, some interesting cloudness. Yeah. And, and that one would look great in black and white, I think. I think so too. Yeah. Because you, you've uh, got that stark contrast between the blades in the sky. You've got the moon that's visible. Yeah. Yeah. And, and also, um, this is something else to consider when you're looking at a scene. You know, my focus here is on the windmill, the windmill, the windmill, and the trees in the sky. And then when I looked at the photos today, there's a whole lot of, like, green moss growing on the side of the windmill that that I honestly wasn't paying attention to at all because I was thinking of shape and composition. And now I look at this shot and I'm like, oh, that's really gross. And, and, (laughs) you know, I could either try to, you know— paint that out or reduce the green in the image or something but it's what's there but it's what's there but it also draws the eye away from what i want it to and so i think switching this to black and white is a really good way of dealing with that because i still have stark lines and then you're like well you know it's just some sort of weathering it's not gross green lichen Okay, you've got a couple of photos of leaves and undergrowth, and here I can see that you're playing with depth of field, which is often interesting when you're looking for detail. Um, uh, there's one in portrait mode. You've obviously shot at different f-stops where you've got one leaf mm-hmm. that stands out that's in focus, and what's nice is the way it's brighter than the others with the light against the blurry background, and, and I find that a nice little detail. Again, I'd say black and white for that, though. Yeah, yeah. Actually, you know, 
with the exception of some really interesting yellow clouds, uh, I think most of these will probably benefit from being in black and white. And this was an example of um, part of what I wanted to do here was also show the progression. And again, this is why there are sort of more shots here than I think I would normally take, because I wanted to show the progression of, you know, here I am, I, I'm taking the wider view. And then these leaves that you mentioned, this is a part where I very consciously said, okay, now I need to focus on some small details. And Which I liked, you have many times said that you don't do very often. Exactly. Exactly. So, uh, heaven forbid, I might be learning something and growing <laughs> from this podcast. This was definitely an area where, uh, because it's winter, all the leaves are on the ground. There's some um, some sort of vertical bushes that are just basically vertical sticks. And that, I thought, was a really nice texture. And so I focused just on on that little area. And then the the last section that I hit is... Uh, I wandered down to a little creek bed, and there's a bit of uh, cloud, like sort of orangey cloud reflection in the water uh, because I wasn't standing in the middle of the water. I don't think my composition is great, but it was, you know, something that, that stood out to me because in this case, we have uh, reflections, and reflections are always great in terms of catching the eye and especially coloring clouds. And so, in terms of trying to figure out what my subject would be here, for me, it was very obvious I wanted to have that 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 mirror image of the colorful clouds in the sky being reflected in the water. Um, all of these are actually really dark. I'm not going to... I might edit one or two by the time the, the episode gets posted, but I also want to leave them dark like this because I deliberately underexposed them so I wouldn't blow out the sky, knowing that I could then work with them later. Okay. One more that I want to mention. Um, you've uh -huh. got a number of photos where you're in amongst a bunch of trees. And yeah. one of them is actually quite interesting. It's in sort of three to aspect ratio. And you see the trees in the front are dark. And then there's some trees behind that are a little bit lighter. Now, uh, looking at this photo, it's, it's not nothing personal. It's not a great photo, but no, no, what no, I want to say is that this is an area for me where I would spend a lot of time walking around to try and find something to shoot. That you've got the light and the shadow and the contrast. You've got the undergrowth. Um, this, to me, is the kind of thing where you could spend 15 minutes walking around, which you did, and, you, and you've got a number of different photos in the area. But for me, if I was in this spot, I would be looking around those trees. The trees, they're, they're kind of curved. They come out of the ground, and you've got... Trees are always great. They've got branches. They've got, yeah. you know, pine needles and all that. So this, to me, is an area where if I was shooting, this would be where I would be looking to make photos. So when I was parking, it was the trees that first caught my eye. Uh, they're arranged such that they make like a nice little tunnel. There's a really nice perspective. And that's really where I started. And I think if I had not you know, been trying to do a variety of shots. Um, I, I agree. Like I would have spent a little bit more time there. Yeah. That, that to me looks like it has promise again, black and white. Sorry. As always. Yeah. Oh no. I mean, you don't have to apologize because also <laughs> this, this is like really great feedback, especially I would say, given the fact that most of what we get feedback on are our finished edited images. 
And so it's actually nice to hear some feedback on, okay, well, why did you choose this? And, and this one looks more interesting than that one, et cetera. Let's go to yours. Okay. So I've got 15 photos, shot them all in a couple of hours. Um, I probably shot 50 or 60 and then culled down to here. And I could easily cull it down to a dozen and get rid of some of them that are less interesting. If you're looking at the iCloud photo album on the web, they show up as square, um, various size thumbnails. You need to click them. They're all in 3-2 aspect ratio because if you listen regularly, I am a 3-2 aspect ratio fundamentalist, except when I shoot square, which I do like to do. Um, <laughs> so I did this with a constraint, black and white using the Fujifilm Acro simulation. Um, I upped the contrast. Um, I upped the grain. So if you zoom in on the photos, you'll see they're quite grainy. And shot this with my 50 millimeter lens. So the 50 is like the 75 millimeter equivalent. It's a slight telephoto, which, because I was looking for detail. So I wanted something that was going to magnify. I didn't want to use a zoom lens. I didn't want to be changing. Um, because one thing I find, a zoom lens is great when you're outside and you need to decide how to crop. But if you're walking around looking for things, I find it better to have a prime lens because then you're seeing the same relationship between the viewfinder and reality from photo to photo. Does that make sense? It absolutely makes sense. And in fact, it actually gets you moving more. I mean, you're having to compose with your feet, which I think also contributes to sort of being a more active participant in the photos that you're taking. You're not just pulling up, rolling down the car window, taking a shot and driving off, which would be very awkward in your living room. <laughs> <laughs> No, these are great. I this this first one uh is super striking and I don't even know what it is. I think is it like a a square lampshade maybe looking down? It's you a, have a very It's a speaker on a speaker stand in my office. Oh, it's a speaker on a speaker stand. Like this this shot here is all angles and white and black and some gray anglies and I love it. Really? Sorry. Okay. I do. I do. Okay. It, like partially because uh you know the 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 angles draw my eye directly to the middle of the frame and then i can you know sort of move my eye around it but it's it's just it's striking and i think that must have been what you were going for obviously but what made you think to take this shot at this angle well this speaker is in my office and i see it all the time my camera's in my office and i picked it up and i just started looking and i thought well there's geometry um, and one of the things that I was looking for here was lines. Um, lines and contrast is basically what I was looking for. When you're looking at this kind of detail, you'll see a couple of them. There's a, um, you can see some fabric on a chair with some peonies. That's kind of boring. You can see the, um, um, the back of a couch, a little bit of the back of a couch, which mm -hmm. it doesn't really look like, it looks more like the arm, but it's really the back against a rug. And that's not very interesting either. Um, but most of what I did here was to look for lines and contrast and angles and shadows. And uh, there's a lot of doors because doors have lines. Um, there's staircase, there's curtains. Um, I would say the one that I like best, um, I, I'm not going to name them or anything. So I'll just describe it and you'll find it, uh, is the one with the white curtain on the right. And then the two part, um, cabinet on the left. Um, I find that has a certain sort of nostalgic feel to it. Now, see, 
I would not have been drawn directly to that one, but I see exactly what you mean. Yeah, there's um, there's something about, you know, I intentionally kept the curtain out of focus. Um, mm-hmm. And the two doors are mostly out of focus. There's only a little bit that's in focus sort of around the middle of the frame. And I purposely yeah. wanted it to be ambiguous. Um, you can't see where it is. You don't know what type of room it's in. You don't know what those little doors are going to. And for me, there's something, there's something inexplicable. There's a question mark in that photo. Well, it's also a photo where something seems to be hidden. Um, the, the, the curtain, is that just how it normally, uh, lays? Yeah, I didn't, I didn't move anything to, I didn't pose anything. I just walked around. That was another constraint, by the way. Um, not, not move anything, not light anything, just take things as they are. Okay. Because the, the thing that, that really strikes me about this is, uh, that little triangular sliver beyond the doors, beyond the curtain, because the the bottom door is like slightly open and the curtain is kind of overlapping that. And so everything about this photo says what's back there. Yep. And very good. Very good. I'm not going to tell you this a lot. I'm not going to tell you what's back there. (laughs) Um, So other than that, I know it's back there. It's probably a whole bunch of like, like old computer cables, isn't it? (laughs) No, it's not. But I'm not going to tell you. I'm not going to tell you. Um, okay. So pick one more that you think you like. So the the other one that really strikes out to me is um, you have a section of wall where, and I can't remember what the what the exact name is for it, but basically uh, the the curved portion of the wall that comes up, um, a little archway, little archway, yeah, uh, and that is is jumping out at me i think maybe again because it has like a very uh interesting triangular shape in the middle uh in this case it's white but i like you have three definite tones going on here you have darkness where the arch uh is in shadow the side of the arch is very bright and just like that that texture of the wall comes through even though you know it's all it's all gray but there's a lot of detail there. And, and again, I, I think it's it, it's that striking triangular shape in the middle that's just drawing my eye right to it. Even though, you know, there's not like a real subject here. It's not like, like uh, it, you have another photo up here that has like the bells that are above the door or the little uh, fish head something. Teapot. I don't know what that is. It's a teapot. teapot. Oh, okay. It's a teapot. Yeah. Um you know, this would be an example, I think, for our reader who had the question, you know, what is the subject of this image? And the subject, like, there, there's not like an object that is the subject. It is the light and the shape that is the subject. And, and that's also something to be looking that's for. That's really important what you just said, that the subject doesn't always have to be an object. The subject can yes. be anything. The subject can be light, shape, lines, shadow. Um, there's no rules. You can do what you want. There are no rules. You can, you know, look at painting. It's similar. Um, You can do anything you want. Yeah. And also, I think to tie back to what he was asking, I don't think people should think that there is a, like something that you should be taking a picture of. 
because oftentimes yes. you'll go to a location and you're like, like, you know, this is the thing that I should be taking a picture of, but I'm really drawn to this other thing. And it's okay to be drawn to the other thing and to ignore the sort of big obvious thing. And that's what people get when they look at too many photo magazines. They look at <laughs> photos that are generally banal, but technically excellent. Um, and they look at something that is photographable rather than trying yeah. to find something that isn't and making it into a photograph. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, without sort of going into the entire history of photography, <laughs> a lot of the... <laughs> yes, I don't think we have time for that today. No, no, no. First, there were the dinosaurs. Yes. Um, but, uh, you know... It, if you look at a lot of the pictures that I know especially you like, the things in the photos are not necessarily this was the one subject that the photographer came to shoot. It's, you know, it's it's tone. It's, uh, you know, some ordinary scene where, you know, people are just standing around. Is there something specific about, like, one person? Not always. But you get the idea the feeling the 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 sense of being there and that kind of becomes the subject versus oh there's a man and a woman and a dog does that make sense yes it does and you know i'm just thinking of something um i'll try and find a link there's a documentary about william eggleston a photographer who i've mentioned a number of times and a lot of people will say his photographs are boring um but a lot of what he does is he's looking for color, for shapes, for light, for for shadow. And in the documentary, he says that if I want to find out if a photograph is interesting, I'll turn it upside down and see if it's still interesting. Because for him, he's looking at photos as an abstraction, not as specifically subjects. And so I just took that second photo that you liked and turned it upside down, the one with the arch. It's actually quite interesting upside down. Oh. Because... It's more of a question upside down. When you see it right side up, you know it's a wall. You know there's an arch over the ceiling. But if you put it upside down, you have no idea what it is. Is it something from a skate park? Mm, right. You would know. Yes. Okay. Skating. Let's, let's move on to our snapshots. Okay. Recently, uh, for the end of last year, I made a photo book, and I used it through uh, a company called Milk, M-I-L-K. And, uh, we'll, of course, we'll put a link in the show notes. They have a photos extension that will let you build a photo book right within Apple Photos. And uh, it was actually, like a really good experience and the quality is really nice. Um, the books are more expensive than usual. Part of this is I wanted to see how they would, uh, you know, turn out. Um, and part of what this company does is they have like really good hardbound covers. And if you wanted to go really crazy, or let's say if you're a wedding, uh, photographer, you can get these like big bound uh, heavy duty paper like wedding albums that you would, you know, spend a couple hundred dollars for and probably charge a client even more. Um, but, uh, you know, being able to have a plug in in photos that just lets you build it, uh, it was super easy and I like how it turned out. So, milk. And what are these photos of? 
Uh, oh, the, the, these photos were just just like uh, the last year. Um, so, something that I could have of the just things that my family and I did and pictures that I liked uh, just to cover 2019. That's an interesting idea. I've never done that. Um, but uh, since you take a lot of family photos, um, I can understand the interest in doing it. Yeah. It's something that, that I always forget about, of course, until the very end of the year. Um, do you do it every then, year? Uh, I, I try to do it every year, but I've not always been so good. Um, what is honestly a motivating factor is having uh, grandparents. And so being able to get something that, you know, when the grandparents who don't live locally, they can have a book uh, that just sort of shows the rest of the year. Okay. So, yeah. Kirk, what do you have this week? Well, I have a photo book. And this is a book of photos by someone who was a visual artist who wasn't really a photographer. He did shoot photos for several decades, but they were sort of, as the description says, it was to make notations of things I had seen and subjects I had been drawing. Ellsworth Kelly, he was an artist who did a lot with geometry, with colors, with lines. And this book essentially is the same style of photos as the ones that we've just been talking about from my August 31, 2019 album. Shadows, lines, all black and white, um, light and shade and geometry. And I saw this a few weeks ago. Uh, it's published by the Aperture Foundation, and they tweeted about it. And I said, I absolutely have to get this book because this is a kind of photography that really touches me. This, it's not called minimalism. Minimalism is generally sort of the long exposure, glassy water, sticks in water um, photography. But this to me is a minimalist type of photography. And if you look through some of the images from the cover, um, where you have a, an extraordinary shot of the front of, I guess it's a front of a barn, um, and w with the shadows there and with the sun, um, it's like you have this line bisecting, you have this triangle, you have this sort of weird parallelogram to the left, and then you have the straight part. And get rid of the photo here and imagine this as a color painting. This is very 1950s, mm. 60s modern art. Um, another one that really stands out is the third one when you look at the photo previews, um, which is the side of a building or a barn. Again, you've got a diagonal line and triangles and windows and verticals. And I find this type of photography oddly pleasing that, again, it's like it's not a photo of anything, but it's a photo of something that makes sense. Um, this is a very small book. It's only got 42 photos in it. Um, a lot of them are of barns. There's about a dozen photos of barns he shot on Long Island, which he shot for the geometry of them. They're not quite as interesting as the ones that show in the preview here. Um, but there's something about looking at this that has awakened my eye to the interest of looking for this type of photo, and particularly in black and white, because you do these in color and they wouldn't work the same. You wouldn't have the same... The, the the color would actually distract in photos like this, I think. Yeah, because your eye would be focused on the colors because we're naturally drawn to colors anyway. Exactly. And and this really accentuates the shape. Nice. Yep. Okay, that's it. Um, Chris, thank you for your question. Uh, if anyone else has questions, um, there'll be an outro with information about the Facebook group and how to join. And see you again in two weeks. See you again. Thanks for listening to Photoactive. 
You can find show notes, including any photos we discuss in the show, at photoactive.co. That's photoactive.co. We couldn't afford the M. You can subscribe to Photoactive in your favorite podcast app or in Apple Podcasts. See the links on our website. And think about leaving us a rating or review on iTunes or in your podcast app. Don't forget that you can get 5% off any course at Masters of Photography with the coupon code PHOTOACTIVE. That's PHOTOACTIVE in one word. Until next week, thanks again for listening.